All right, welcome back to Shoot Me Straight with uh, Eddie minus Dave. He's uh, on a break right now, so you'll just be stuck listening to my voice. But today we have an awesome guest. We got Benny Olson, um, prior Navy. Navy, right? yep. Yeah, um, and so we linked up through uh, Andy Simmons, who was uh, my publisher, uh, who helped me write my book, and right. he's uh, helping you do the same thing. Absolutely. So, yeah, he, he reached out, and I had actually um, heard you on, uh, I think, Mike Ritland's podcast. Um, I'm not, what was that, a couple years That's ago? Like about three years ago, yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah. So, yeah, the name rang a bell when, when uh, he reached out, and I was like, oh, yeah, for sure, man. So cool. I'm glad you made the trip down here, dude, and I know it's uh, you got a busy schedule and you got kids. And, well, I, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, of course, yeah. man, of course. Uh so yeah, man. Uh, let's uh, get into it. So get uh, the the listeners here um, uh, some information just to, about you and uh, where you're from, and you know sure. how, how you how you were raised, where you were raised, and then we'll get into the actual uh, meat and potatoes of the story. Absolutely. Um, so I was in the Navy uh, ten years, medically retired. I was actually at Navy Master at Arms, so was not a Navy SEAL. I want to make sure people know that because that I always try to stress that even in my book. I I think one of the first few sentences is I, I was never, never one, but, you know, people seem to misconstrue that whenever I come on something like this. Well, but you were, uh, you were attached yes. to uh dev group, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Correct. So, I mean, you can, I understand why people would get that confused and, uh, but it's yeah. really not a big deal. Yeah. It's just the whole stolen <laughs> valor thing, you know, is kind of, it's just weird, weird to me. And, um, so I want to make sure I get that straight. I'm from South St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, I grew up there. My mom, she was a single mother for most of most of uh, my first part of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, married my stepdad, which I, I talk about in the book. You know, things with that that comes with that, and just not having a father. And um, what? And, uh, I'm sorry. What, what year did uh, she end up marrying your stepdad? Like when I was about 11. Okay. So it had to have been 19. 93 94 somewhere in there i think i okay. could be wrong i on the well, that's, yeah i was wondering what age actually yeah. uh yeah so you you were without a dad till about 11 or a father right like right yeah you know typical i talk about it in the book you know sitting on the steps waiting for your dad to come pick you up and then turns out he's not coming things like that with my sister and mm-hmm. so ended up ended up you know seeing all of the different you know she had different different men come along and um ended up with with one guy and so it's again it's in the book of kind of how that how that turned out but uh you know it's uh definitely difficult with, yeah without without the dad but uh I can imagine yeah. yeah I mean I I can't really imagine but uh yeah I mean it's a father figure is important no matter what no matter what age you are it you definitely know? is so um so I so I grew up in South St. Paul Minnesota I enlisted in the National Guard which Again, I talk about I didn't last very long, and then graduated high school, went to college for like six months, and was like, "This is not what I was meant to do in life." And mm-hmm. enlisted in the Navy, and that's the rest is history. What uh, what happened with the National Guard? So the National Guard, I didn't understand exactly what they did. Um, I wanted out of Minnesota. My mom had decided to move to Alabama right when I graduated. And so um, when I enlisted, I was in 12th grade, and my mom had told me that, hey, we're leaving Minnesota. And so I told the National Guard, like, my family's going. They're, they're gone. I ain't going to have nowhere to live. Like, can I go active duty? 
And they said, that's not how that works, which is now that I've been in the military, I understand and basically told them, well, I'm not coming back because, you know, I just, I need to figure out how I get out of Minnesota and, and do that. And, um, you know, the guy, the, the main guy at the detachment, I was infantry. That's what I signed up for. Like, and again, I didn't know anything about nothing. Well, you're 18, right? I was actually 17. 17. My mom actually signed the papers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She thought, she thought the same thing I did. Well, he'll be taken care of cause he'll end up going off like in yeah, the military. Like, yeah. So the guy's like, you're going to be, you're, a, you're going to be a loser. Like you're going to regret this. And I, again, I write about this. And so like, just kind of going through as a, through childhood and it was rough already. And then now I have like this, this first leader tell me I'm going to end up being a loser. Cause yeah, I that's, don't that's really it. awesome mentorship right there. It's you know, great. Yeah. Uh, especially to a, what, 17 year old. Yeah. At the 17. Time. It's yeah. what a loser. That dude's the loser, right? Obviously what a dick. Uh, right. I well, mean, and but, I believe it propelled me to, to, to continue to push harder. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I found that too, like through my military career, I can look back and think of like just the crappiest, I wouldn't even call leaders, but you know, they, they have rank, you know, over you. So in military terms, yeah, oh yeah, they're, they're a leader because they're a certain rank, but I remember having, you know, uh, E6s, uh, tell me, you know, you're never going to amount to anything because, you know, you made, made a mistake when you were 18 or 19 in the military. Yep. And I remember, you know, my goal was to be a SEAL. And I, I strictly remember this one guy. Uh, he was like, you will never be a SEAL. You'll never amount to that. You don't have what it takes. And I mean, that's someone, you know, an older man telling, which you are, you're still a child. I don't care if yeah. you're 18 years yeah. old. Uh, but that just gives you the motivation to prove them wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I enlisted in the Navy and then you know, I wanted to be a police officer. That was my goal in life to, was to be a police officer was to do the opposite of what my dad, what my dad did. Um, again, my dad went to prison. I don't, I didn't mention that in the no. beginning. No. So he went to prison when I was, I think 10 or 11. I can't remember the year, but it was like right when I was going into seventh grade of high school mm-hmm. and, um, he went to prison for five years. He got out right before I graduated high school. What was he uh, sentenced for? Um, so it was money laundering, but he, he, he dealt, dealt drugs. Um, I think mainly marijuana, but, um, yeah. it doesn't matter. It's, it, he, he got, he got, um, caught up in that and, and I knew about it. You know, anytime we'd go over to his house, it was crazy. Like he'd go grab a paper plate and there's just like little pile of marijuana on top of it. And at 10 years old, I knew it was drugs, but I didn't know the extent of how bad it was, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. So you uh, turned to obviously didn't work out for the National Guard, right? Correct. And then will you just go enlist right after that? I, well, so no, uh, the Navy recruiter, uh, Chief Karst, I remember to this day, this dude, like, I mean, the Lord saved me, but he, he put this guy in my path. And um, he kept on trying to get me to join the Navy even before the National Guard. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I want to go, go in the Army. And, uh, and then he kept pressuring me and I'm like, I had such a bad experience with the national guard that I was like, Nope, not doing, not doing anything. I'm just going to go to college. So I went to a community college and as I was figuring out that wasn't working out for me, Mm -hmm. I mean, they put me in this, like this, this college class that was like, uh, 
I don't know. I, I was I had this liberal again, I don't want to get into politics. I had this liberal professor, female that like feminist that I mean basically held it to the to to, to the men in that in that class. Yeah. And I was like, what am I doing here? I mean, you could just hear now thinking back to some of the stuff she would say, and then now being older, it's like, okay, I get why people get get programmed. And um, so I went to him and I said, hey, man, I really, I need to get out of Minnesota. And he, they were the only ones open. The Marines weren't open. The Army wasn't open. The Air Force weren't there. And I walked into the recruiting station and he's like, so you're ready? And I said, yeah. I said, I want to do whatever it takes to get out of here. And um, turns out the National Guard gave me an RE3 discharge. I don't know if you know what that is, no. but it's a, it's in order to get back in, it's extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult to get back into any other. What does RE stand for? I don't you know. know um, I don't know what it stands for. So I should probably be a little bit more educated on it. But it gave me an. There's different levels of discharges, and they gave me like the third worst is what I would call it. Like a is it close to like maybe an other than honorable? Yeah. Okay. That's exactly. I believe that's exactly what it what it is. All right. Yeah. So. I that, yep. That's pretty much the step below dishonorable yep. discharge. Yeah. And so again, being 17, I didn't. I didn't think I did anything wrong that was I, – I just I thought – I didn't know at the time. And so they gave me this discharge, and he's like, you got to go meet the regional commander, this 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 captain, you know, for the recruiting district. And he's like, you got to go plead to your, your case to him why he should why – why we should let you in. And I said, well, that sucks, but okay. So I went and did that. <laughs> and at the time, I was living in an apartment complex across from the college that – I had one bedroom of the apartment, a bunch of drugs and stuff coming through, and I was like, I'll do whatever it takes. And so I walked in, and he's like, why should I let you in my Navy? And I'm like, sir, I made a mistake. I have no other choice right now. I said, I just want to be a, a police officer, and that's it. And so I went into the master at arms rating. Yeah. And he's like, well, I, you know, nice guy. He believed me, you know. and as, was, he, as he should. I mean, the fact that they're <laughs> – the fact that they're holding you accountable like like that at 17 when yeah. you don't know what you don't know about the military, which, you know, you just admitted, like, you joined the National Guard. You weren't sure how it worked. Um, I saw the commercials. Yeah. I thought the commercials were, were cool. Exactly. And it you should know. have been explained to you, like, hey, if you do this, this is how it's going to work. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's – I'm sure they run into that all the time, like these recruiters all over the country. Yeah. You know, you have these young kids that – yeah, they're inspired, and they're like, I want to join the military, but they sort of join um, just blinded. Like, okay, they don't know anything about how the military works, the structure, you know, the uh, the agreements, you know, that right. take place. And, yeah, those things should be explained at least at the bare minimum, you right. know, to well, individuals. And, and then to hold you, like, to sit there and be like, well, you need to explain yourself and give you a, an other than honorable, that's – but that sounds like the military, though. So, it, 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 I mean, whatever it takes to get numbers, I think, with recruiting, and I, I suppose especially now it's even worse. But oh, yeah. Yeah. I joined the National Guard right after 9-11. So I was sitting in a classroom, and that's when I was like, I want to go do something, right? And I yeah. thought that I would deploy or at least go be stationed somewhere else out of Minnesota. And little did I know that that, because of everything that was happening, and, well, in 2003, later – going to happen in Iraq, like that unit was going to deploy anyway. So looking back on it now, I would have gotten my wish to, to go and do something, you know, yeah. so. 
but still stuck in Minnesota going one week in a month was just not something I wanted to do. Yeah. Did you do so. the old weekend warrior experience? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. So you got, uh, that guy hooked you up and was like, yep, you can, you can enlist. Um, what year was this? 2003. 2003. Uh, it was in, de- well, it was in December of 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, but they said I could not leave until August of 2003. And I was just like, I've got to sit eight more months in this and do this life. I mean, it, it sucked. I mean, I had a girlfriend at the time and that, that made it difficult, but um, I was willing to do anything to leave. Yeah. You were ready to get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. So how was, uh, obviously you went to uh, Great Lakes. Great mistakes. Great yeah. mistakes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, how was that? How was that experience? It was good. You know, we had some old school RDCs. This was like right before they had the new, <clears throat> I, I guess the new buildings they have there, the ships or whatever they call them, where the dining halls and the same building. Uh-huh. That's what they have now, I guess. Before when I went, and I'm sure when you, I don't know when you went. 99, yeah. So when you went, you had to march to the dining hall and yeah. and all that. Like, it, I just, I felt like I was at home because I was, I had structure now. Again, like, finally, like, structure from three dudes that were, like, you know, busting our ass the whole way through. Yeah. So um, a lot of pressure that I was not used to. Like, because I never had a guy that, uh, like, a male figure to, like, lead me, right? Like, that's what a father's supposed to do with his kids. And so not having that and now finally having that, I mean, it was it was definitely a, a learning experience. Yeah. Did yeah. you find it, uh, I don't know, physically or hard at all or, like, I mean? Mentally, when I first got there, um I can't remember when they stripped you down naked and they're like yelling at you. Yeah. And I was like, and I like <laughs> hyperventilating. Like, I'm like, Oh my God, like what's going on? Like this stress that I've never felt before. Physically, I didn't have no problem with it. I mean, I could run a, you know, five thirty mile in high school, which is not, not crazy fast, but it was it's still pretty fast. Yeah. I can't do it anymore, but, um, <laughs> uh, physically I was not a, not a problem. Like it was yeah. just, I mean, they, they do it. So, everybody can hopefully pass. Yeah, that's what, I mean, I was, I was pretty disappointed uh, when I went because I remember it was, it was like a shock, but it was a shock and they, to me, it was like in a bad way where I thought for some reason in my head, I thought it was going to be, I guess, more like Marine Corps boot camp or, you know, but it turned out to be just a lot of like folding clothes, making your bed, Um, you know, and there was like, you know, little uh, beat downs or whatever every right. once in a while. But I also, I don't know. I, I, I just had a different idea in my head of what it was going to be like. And then you're, you're in there with, I mean, a wide variety of characters, individuals, personalities, and, you know, and everybody comes from, you know, you can have guys and girls from the poorest of the poor, you know, of this country. Then you also are in there with some people who were, you know, yeah. silver spoon, I mean, we had a guy from Africa that got rolled back three times and finally graduated from us, but that's all he wanted to do. Like, was, he it was graduate boot camp. Yeah, I had a guy uh, like that as well. Um, he kept getting, what do they call it, Asmode? Asmode, yeah. Yeah, so yep. he kept getting rolled. And I think it was like the fourth or fifth uh, boot camp class or division, whatever. Um, he finally, you know, was in ours. And we, you know, I remember asking him, like, why, why do you keep, like, getting rolled? And he's like, dude, I come from... I think he was from the South and he was like, I've never grown up with a bed. I had to fend yeah. for myself. I had to find food every day. And he's like, 
I have a bed here and I get fed three times a day. Yeah. He's like, I'm don't want to leave. And I yeah. was like, that was an eye opener. I was like, dang, you know, like this is like the best this guy has ever had. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a trip. It's yeah, it's definitely something. Um, <laughs> I mean, but then you get other people that take it for granted, right? Like, yeah. That are just not, but yeah, you're in there with a wide, wide range of, wide range of people. Oh yeah. My, uh, my oldest is in boot camp right now. Well, Marine Corps boot camp. Okay. Yeah. That's what, uh, that was one of the biggest pieces of advice I gave before you left. I was like, dude, you're going to be in there with just like we talked about, just a wide variety of characters and personality traits. And I was like, choose who you want to be friends with wisely. Yep. You know, I was like, pick the individuals that are motivated, yeah. that have a purpose, that are looking to achieve like something great while they're in the military. I'm like, because you're going to have another group that's literally just there to be there or like take it for granted, right. you know, and you want, you know, they get done and they're like, Oh, let's drink and don't really have any aspirations to get better. Right. And he'll, and just going on to a school or whatever they call it in the Marine Corps, a school and then his duty station, always picking those, those top performers to, yeah, to be around I, is, it's addictive. Yeah, it is. It's, you know, excellence breeds excellence. And that's where, yeah, you got to hang out with people who have high aspirations. Right. And I, and I going back to the physical thing, I'm sure it was probably difficult for you guys, you know, being, having to do that, which isn't really challenging. And then eventually you guys have to go to buds. Yeah. And, and that and was where I was frustrated because, you know, that's, that was my goal. Doesn't so, prepare you. No. So I would, uh, you know, go in the bathrooms after lights out and do my sure. own, do my own workouts or I, I would mess stuff up on purpose so the whole place would get beat so <laughs> at least i got some <laughs> workout out of it guys, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah no i ended up graduating uh pretty pretty high i mean i i i did really well in boot camp i mean i i got to pick any i mean i got to go to i could could have went to lackland or <clears throat> over to little creek um i chose little creek not knowing that lackland was an air force base you know, and the, the dining halls and everything oh, there yeah. is a lot nicer. Um, so I ended up going to Mastered Arms A School over in Little Creek, Virginia, which they don't, I don't believe they do there anymore. Um, that in itself, being back with a bunch of fleet returnees, because um, I think most of the people that went to A School down in um, San Antonio, Lackland, uh, they they were all from boot camp. So when I went to C, went to A school in Little Creek, there was just a ton of fleet returnees coming to be master at arms because they had opened the rate up to everybody. So they were like switching rates or yeah um, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. How was uh, how was master at arms school? I thought I, I just I thought it would be more difficult, but it was like really <laughs> learning like the UCMJ and stuff like that. Um, they would bust us out into town and. I, I think a local place had the contract to teach. Um, so they bus us out there and feed us and then bus us back to the base. And I wasn't sure if I had made the right, the right choice because we weren't really doing much. Um, but then I saw the working dogs come through the, the building one day to sweep for drugs. And I was like, oh, that could be cool. And so yeah. I kind of kept that in the back of my mind, like, okay, there's other things I could do in this. Um, when I was there, I I got the choice of whatever place I wanted to go to because I was actually pretty high in my class, and I really wanted to contribute because we were over in Iraq, and I thought, okay, well, if I get closer to there, maybe they'll deploy people out of 
whatever bases are close to there. So I picked Bahrain out Oof. of all places. And people were like, why are you – because you get to pick three choices. Mm-hmm. And so I picked Bahrain three times. I put it down there, and I made sure that they knew that that's the only place I want to go to. Well, little did I know you don't deploy to Iraq. You don't do anything out of Bahrain other than you can go sit on a ship and, you know, be a, a guard on one of the civilian ships out there or yeah. – or, or deployed to the UAE, which I did many times as a dog handler. Um, yeah, go to uh, Dubai. Dubai. That and that's that's not a deployment. <laughs> no, I've yeah. been I've done a deployment over there. Yeah, yeah. So, so. that was an experience. But uh, I got so I got to choose. I picked Bahrain, and I went to Bahrain, and you know there it's not law enforcement; it's all straight force protection. Um, I busted my ass. Like I worked as hard as I could to get my PQS signed off. It's like a, just a, a manual that says, I know, know my job and, uh, impressed the chief of my patrol, the patrol unit over there. And one day I was standing out doing guard duty and there were these dogs that were sweeping the buses for the, uh, department of defense dependent school that's over there mm-hmm. at Dodd school. I guess they sweep them for explosives, so the kids, when they get on the bus, they don't have to worry about that. And I was like, I want to do that. Like, fell in love with it at A school, but really, like, when I saw them in Bahrain working and doing uh, different things, fell in love with that. And I said, that's what I want to do. And I knew nothing about canine units prior to coming into the military. <laughs> wasn't ever something I thought I would do. I didn't have dogs growing up. The only dogs we had were inherited because people would come visit, and then their dog would get lost. And then they, yeah. you know, people from Florida and whatnot, uh, some family. So, you know, I, I really fell in love with that. And I asked, hey, can I go volunteer my extra time? We were already working 12-hour shifts. And they said, sure, as long as you're not going to slack at your, your regular patrol job of, you know, standing the gate. And so I'd go over to the kennel for two or three hours and become a bite dummy or clean up dog poop or, you know, because these dogs would paint the dog kennel with their, their oh, poop. Yeah. And, and so they had me doing all kinds all kinds of duties over there. And um, regardless of all of that, I still loved being around the animals. Like there was just something different about it. And now knowing what I know about dogs and like therapy and stuff like that, like I can see why I was so drawn to it. Yeah. Did uh, you think that that had something to do with your upbringing? No, no, uh, it had to do, I think we, we were going to end up talking about it anyways, but like during Extortion 1-7, yeah. I had a dog, um, and so that, that dog literally got me through the rest of that deployment when we were over there in Afghanistan, and, you know, I, there's just something that they do that's just different, that just calms you, and I don't know how to describe it, right? Yeah. Like, it's just, so I... I think that's why I was immediately drawn to it when I was working in the kennel, no matter what the dogs would do, right? Like they could, they could poop all over the place or, or try to snap at you or whatever. Cause you know, some of the dogs are a little aggressive, but didn't care. So, yeah. Yeah. So you, so you, uh, <clears throat> sorry, you're busting your ass there working, um, you know, your regular duties and then yeah. off time you're, you're doing what you can every day to, to get in. Yeah. To get in with the dogs. So did they eventually you're like, Hey man, you can, uh, start coming over here and actually train in with these dogs so they finally at some point they were like this guy's this guy's really dedicated and i had a chief over there um chief toussaint 
And he had reached out to the patrol unit and said, hey, this guy is coming over every day. We, we want him. The patrol unit, Chief Rusi, again, people that people that I know, right, like people that are, their names are always going to be in my head. He's like, this, this guy really wants it. And so finally one day he's like, yeah, you're going to get to go over there. You're going over there. This is your last day working. And so he went over the radio and he basically said, you know, because this guy has put in all this work, you know, I got all my – Stuff signed off in patrols. I was a high performer. Um, he's like, he's going 10. He said it over the radio, which was to everybody. And I was just like, it was just a cool recognition of somebody noticing that you're putting in the work, right? Like, No, that's good, man. I mean, yeah. you you earned it. You know what I mean? So it yeah. should be, that's a good leader right there. Because, you know, not only is he giving you like an attaboy or whatever over the radio and telling, but hopefully he's like inspiring others like hey you know if you put in the work and actually you know on your off time dedicate you know the time and energy to advance to what you want to do in the military then yeah it works out for you but you have to put in the work like nobody's going to give it to you right and i think i mean that's that's an important message to, to pass along and going back to your son you know, I always stuck around people that were going to better me. And when you go over to Bahrain as a, a as a E2, E3, you know, new in the military, you get all this money because we were living out in town. Yeah. We got BH to live out in town, so we're living like kings. And, um, you know, guys were just, they would go to this, uh, it's a hotel or it's a bar called the Rock Bottom. It's right outside the gate. And that's exactly where you end up is Rock Bottom. I mean, yep. you're just, it's drinking and you know i write about it in my book like they got in trouble for stealing shia flags you know from the houses over there and it's like i, I want nothing no part of that yeah you know so i just surrounded myself around with good people and just it's very hard when you're new and you're like oh you got all this freedom and it's almost too much it is um i you know i equate it to you know because you have you know, like you're 18 and it's the same thing when, you know, I have a daughter in college as well. When right. she's in her sophomore year, it's the same premise. Like these kids, they go to college and it's their first time away from home. They're, you know, pretty much they have all the freedom in the world. And right. there's two routes you can take there. It's either you can buckle down, do what you need to do, study, you know, and really stay focused to get that degree. Yeah. Or what a lot of the crowd does is they party their asses off, um, and end up flunking out of school or, you know, whatever. It's the same in the military. Um, right. And that's, that's I think, people um, that aren't in the military or don't have really any idea about it, it's the same premise. Like, you'll have people that join, and there's people that are content, and they stay complacent, and they're like, oh, I'm just going to do whatever they tell me to. Or you can go in there with, and I tell people when they join, they should have an idea of, like, what they want to do and then yeah. aspire to that and – yeah, it's it's very easy to get taken down the wrong direction if you don't stay focused and driven and towards your goal. Right. Yeah. Um. So I ended up uh, they ended up sending me to dog school. Uh, I had to agree to stay in Bahrain for another year, like uh, it's called OTEP, which they're going to give me two grand to stay there anyways, and another thirty days of free vacation, I guess. So, um, they ended up sending me to Lackland Air Force Base. And again, I was around a bunch of, you know, fleet returnees and what like stuff like that. Um, just because at dog school, normally you would have had to have been an E5 
and had so many years in the military in order to even get to go to dog school. And here I was showing up in desert camis because I was from Bahrain. Yep. And I was getting hemmed up by these E5s, you know, that were like, what the hell are you doing? You're not allowed to wear that. That's not authorized. And this master chief came out and he's like, I spoke to his command. He's authorized. I mean, it was just great to see a leader that stepped up and said, it's not my choice. Like I'd, I'd buy the green ones if I could, but they didn't have them over there, you yeah. know? And so it's like just stuff like that. That sounds, yeah. It's always the E5s on a, uh, a power trip. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, so 12 weeks at Lackland, uh, the first six weeks were doing all the patrol training and basically, basically they're dogs that do not listen. Like all of these little heathens are sent back to Lackland and they know that you're new. The dogs, they know yeah. that you're new and they know you're new and they're going to drag you and drag your ass everywhere. Um, they have a thing called shit hill where you take the dogs to walk in a big circle and that's where they go poop. And, um, <laughs> nice. and so they're just, dra- they're going to drag you everywhere. And that's what they do for six weeks. Half of them don't come off of the bite. They don't let go. I mean, it might be different now, but back then they, these yeah. dogs failed out for a reason. Um, and so for six weeks, you're just, you know, and I thought that was the worst part of it. And it, it turned out not being the worst part of it because the next six weeks you were doing detection and detection has to be happy and fun because you want the dogs to find the, the odors. Yeah. And so these dogs, your hand would be purple by the time you're done because the dogs have, they just drag you everywhere. Yeah. So for, for 12 weeks, it was a, it was a very big learning experience. Uh, and I thought that's how it was going to be going back to the fleet, but it turns out that's there's standards and, and whatnot that dogs have to do. And so, so are those dogs that you train there at Lackland, they stay at Lackland then? Right? They stay at so Lackland. They're, like the, yeah. they're the training dummies sort of for you guys. I mean, and then yeah. you, once you graduate, then you're given an actual dog, hopefully that has the traits, you know, that so you need. You're given a dog when you get back to your command. None of those dogs follow follow <laughs> yeah, with you. That's what, yeah. Um, now, when I was with, with uh, Dev Group, you know, that we didn't get our dogs from Lackland. So it was, there's different, way different standards there. But just going back to that, go, we'd go back, to, I went back to the command and they ended up pairing me with this German Shepherd that can't do patrol work. So the fun part of it, doing the bite work. And um, all he could do was detection because of his hips. But he ended up being the best. I could watch this dog work and I could pick up on his different um, changes of behavior, they call it, whenever he's on odor. And he ended up, it ended up being such a great pair because it made us both successful. Like he made me successful. So um, it was just a good, he was a veteran and I was a rookie and he just kind of, it just worked out to be a great team. That's awesome. Yeah. So I ended up, ended up getting to go to the United Arab Emirates for, you know, to Dubai for three weeks at a time, Gujarat for three weeks at a time. And um, again, it was a cakewalk, but you know, it, it worked out. Yeah, I mean, you were doing what you wanted to do. The dogs, right? yeah. yeah, yeah. Even though I couldn't go to Iraq and help out and do stuff like that, um, it still was a, a trade-off. Um, I ended up working two more dogs at in, in Bahrain. I worked a flat, flat-coated retriever, a dog named Schecker, who if you touched his ass, he was going to bite you. And everybody messed with him, and it was just – it was it was fun being his handler. Um <laughs> And then my chief, he actually gave me a, a green dog that came from Lackland, and I was his first handler, and his, his name was Leo, and I taught this dog to um, 
sit pretty. Like he'd sit on his back, back legs on his, on his ass with his, like a gopher. Um, I taught him to do a bark and hold, which he'd go stand up in front of the decoy and he literally would bark in the deco like in, in the face. It was almost dangerous. Yeah. Um, you know, just stuff like that. I was actually able to do the fun stuff with the dog that I hadn't intended hadn't. on wanting to do, like yeah. teaching a dog new things. And, um, so I ended up doing that for Bahrain for three years and I wasn't sure what I was going to do because I was coming up on the end of my enlistment. I had about a year left and my chief was like, Hey, you should go to Texas, Texas. There's, you can go to a small kennel, get a chance to be a leader. I was in E4 at the time. Um, yeah, two and a half years in, I was in E4 at the time. And he said that that would be the best chance I would, I would have, um, was, was going to a smaller kennel down in Texas. Best chance to have to, for what, to deploy to Iraq or just No, to... just get more leadership. Okay. Yeah, yeah, just to get more more leadership so I'd have a better chance of making rank. Okay. So, again, I, I just wanted to go and go and serve. Yeah. And that was kind of my my whole thing. Um, you know, and there was an opportunity to deploy out of, out of that kennel because it was really weird. They would take dogs from, and now I understand why, but they would – they would do the IAs from the United from from here, like they wouldn't take the closest dog that's in theater. Um, and I guess the reason was because they all went to training down in Arizona or something like that. Okay. So, um, I went there and I quickly realized that Kingsville was not a place I wanted to be. Like, there's nothing down in Kingsville, Kingsville, well, Texas. Yeah. Where's that near? I have no Corpus idea. Christi. Okay, so that south. Yeah. So in order to go any anything, go do anything down there, you had to go to Corpus Christi to go just even enjoy yourself and have fun like because there's nothing kingsville turns out my wife was in kingsville though so i ended up meeting my wife there a fun story when i was at boot camp my wife was actually there watching her cousin graduate from my division so i didn't i i didn't meet her until kingsville but she was actually she was at your graduation yeah i found out she was actually at my graduation (laughs) and um so that's just like tells you like you know, when you have a plan for yourself, like I had my girlfriend that was there at my graduation in boot camp. Like you think that this is the plan, but God had a different plan, right? And yep. he, put, he had her there, you know, the whole way. And so just meeting her down in Kingsville was, uh, and then knowing that like kind of just was just pretty cool. I didn't, you know. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah. So, um, God, where did I go from there? I... I started volunteering uh, to do ride-alongs with the state troopers because I was like, this is boring. If I've got to do three more years of this and I can't deploy, they gave me a dog down there named Kit. He just was a straight uh, detection dog. Mm -hmm. Um, His hips were going bad, and he had cataracts. So I was like, I can't do this. (laughs) Like, I'm going to get out. And my buddy called me, and he said, hey, there's an assignment if you want it. Um, I can get you, I can get you to screen. And he's like, you're young. He's like, I don't know if they'll take you just because of your age. He's like, but you're responsible. This is all the stuff he's telling me. And he said, it's with the seals. And I didn't know exactly what it was. Like, I thought it was just training their dogs at first. Uh, Little did I know it'd be to actually deploy and, and operate with them, which was just, once I did that, anything else I did after that just didn't, (laughs) just didn't add up, didn't add up. So um, I said, sure. So I went up there and screened and, um, up in, uh, Virginia, Virginia. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Went up there and screened. And so they fit physically, they would, 
<laughs> they screened us physically, and then they uh, did a psych, you know, psych evaluation on you to make sure you're not, you know, yeah. have, have everything there. And uh, I remember this master chief, um, he was in charge of the dog kennel there, and he's like, hey, I want to take you out on a, on a run. I said, this dude's, like, old as dirt. Like, he's, he had to be in his late 50s, and no, no, no disrespect to him. Like, he just was older. Yeah. And I was like, he's not going to crush me. I mean, I'm going to do all right. Well, this dude... He ran me down to the O course, ran the O course twice. I mean, he just, I mean, he, he put out and he crushed me that day. And he, we went to go do pull-ups and I was like, I can't feel my arms. And so I, I did, I pumped out like three of, or not three, six of them, the minimum. And uh, he's like, I really expected you to do more. And I'm like, I've never done pull-ups. Like we didn't do them. It's not part of the Navy uh, requirements. Right. And it's no excuse. It's just, it's not part of the things that we do. And. So this dude crushed me, and and then I quickly realized, like, if this is the mentality, then yes, I want to be, I quick, I want to be around this. Um, so I screened, and then they also screened you to handle dogs, and then everybody there had to give you a thumbs up. So yep. Um, Did you have to go to like a board at all, or like? Yeah, yeah, yep. typical, you know, where they grill you on some questions mm-hmm. and ask you situations, and um, it it was. Getting the approval from the SEALs was was definitely difficult. Like, I mean, they just, these guys were older. The guys that were in the kennel, you know, they had to have been there at the command probably five or six years already. Yeah. Um. So there's an expect, expectation there from them. And um, I remember the one guy, uh, Jimmy, he, he just said, the best advice I give you is to always be an asset. So that's, <laughs> yeah, I that took is. that to heart. Yeah. That is probably yeah. the best piece of advice he could have given you. Yeah, I mean, that's that advice is given to te- to seals regardless. Oh, really? Um, I didn't know it was like a. I mean, that's where you know, when you're a new guy in the teams. I mean, some you know it's worded differently depending on your leadership, and I mean, or maybe some guys don't get this advice. But that's if you want to succeed in that environment in that community, then your number one priority is to make yourself an asset in some way uh, right. that you are needed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I went back and they, they just said, Hey, you're pretty young. Like we're, we're going to talk about it and we'll let you know. Um, I was 21 at the time, I think. And a lot of the guys that are at that command are, they've they're, been, they've been around for a while. Yeah. They're usually late twenties, early thirties yeah. and above. Yep. Yeah. And um, so I went back to Kingsville thinking that I'm going to go be a state trooper because there ain't no way these guys are going to select me. And they ended up selecting me. And I was like, okay, cool. So how long do I have to be here in Kingsville? Do I have to do the full three? I, I assumed I had to do the full three years in Kingsville. Well, they had some work around and they had me there in six months. Nice. And I was like, and I I I'd met my wife down in Kingsville and I wasn't sure if it was going to work. I, I loved her to death. Um, but I told her, I was like, I got to go do this. Like, if I don't go do this, I'm going to regret it. And um, we made it work, obviously. We made it work. And uh, Did she move up to Virginia with you? She didn't because we weren't married yet. And okay. she was new to the military. She was a air traffic controller. So she's a pretty smart gal. And um, they wouldn't let her leave there, obviously, because we weren't married. And so we made the long distance thing work for a while. Uh, when I went to, when I went up to, or went uh, up to Dev Group, they uh, put me through a course up there, and so that course, 
they took us down to Memphis to go shoot. And so she would, mm-hmm. you know, cause we would go into Memphis and get to go hang out. And so, uh, for the weekend when we were there. And so she would drive up from Kingsville all the way to Memphis, come see me. And then, you know, we, yeah, you, you made it work. We made it work. That's, it's tough. Yeah. It's good yeah. on you. It's, I mean, I did that with my wife, uh, the first, my first platoon, she was in Indiana. Yeah. I was in San Diego. Um, but anytime like training trips that were within, you know, 10 hours or less driving distance, we would link up yeah. with each other and that's the stuff you got to do. Yeah. You know? So I went through this, this, this direct support course is what they call it. I can say that. Um, and Lou Langless, uh, who was on extortion. Mm-hmm. Again, I like from the very beginning, like Lou hammered me and <laughs> he would always have these glasses on and this like just grin on his face. And he just knew something was coming. Like he, he knew something was planned. And um, man, he just, he pulled me aside one day and he said, um, we hold all of the direct support people accountable. Like, we hold them all to a standard. He said, but you dog guys. He's like, you guys are the only ones other than EOD coming to the door with us. And he just, like, looked me dead in the face. He's like, you won't graduate this course unless you show me that that I can trust you. Because he's like, you might be my dog guy. And um, so that, like, sent chills through me just now, like, just thinking about it. Because when he pulled me aside and said that, I was like, okay, well, this is going to be something, something, you know, something's going to be something. Serious. Yeah. And so... uh for for three months they put us through well not three months no, it was more like six it was more like six months from January to July of 2007 I went through this course where they taught me basically he said we're going to teach you how not to kill one of us and now how not to hurt yourself yeah that's basically it and um, they would show us how to do combat clearance and um, a little bit of hostage rescue um, clearing but uh, for the most part, it was just teaching us how to be be an asset more than anything yeah. else. Yeah. Nothing no. with dogs, though. Just how, like, doing OTBs and stuff like that. I was like, when are we going to ever have to do this with dogs? Well, sure as shit, we, they, decided, oh, yeah. they decided to start doing that with dogs, and that's a whole different animal. Like, like that's the only thing that ever scared me doing anything with, with a dog was doing OTBs with a dog. And uh, over the beach. Over the beach. Yeah. yeah. But... We did all this stuff for six months, and um, it turned out I was going to get um, attached to uh, Gold Squadron as their dog handler. And one of the guys took me upstairs, and uh, I still remember to this day because uh, he's a really good friend of mine, um, Tuan. He like looked over at me. He even told me this. He's like, "I looked over at you," and he's like, "This is our dog handler." I was 140 pounds, like I was just was a small, like scrawny, scrawny yeah. dude, and. He's like, okay, he'll be he'll be here for a few days and then probably gone. Um, so, I don't know. It, it was humbling, though, to walk up into the team room, though, and you see all these guys. They have, You know, this is uh, in 2008 when they still allowed them to have beards and everything. And Yeah, that was still, yeah, the war was uh, still raging at the time. Yeah. yeah. And so you see all these dudes and, like, they're fit and jacked and they got beards and you're just like, oh, my God. Like, what did I, you know, am I going to be able to do this? I'm sure it was intimidating. It was. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely was. Um, I had an EOD guy, though, that kind of, um, Louis Safrant, who ended Mm -hmm. up being uh, killed on the HBID that I was uh, blown up in. And he, like, really would talk to me anytime I went up there and kind of, like, guided me through how to 
kind of fit in with, with those guys and how to earn their trust. So um, having guys like Louie that were willing to kind of just mentor you. Yeah. Not hold your hand, but yeah, basically hold your hand still, and walk you through it. Yeah. Hold your hand the, yeah. the best way that they know how to. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So I ended up getting my first dog, Digo. Uh, he was a dog that was uh, shit canned from another squadron because he, this dog would bite everything. Like he'd, he'd bite men, women, children. He didn't care. And he would even bite his handler. And so they had a hard time controlling him um, just running with the team, you know, because we have to send these dogs from the back or the middle of the stack and keep them from biting people along the way until they get go to the door, right? Yeah. And so he just wanted to bite everybody. And so I really had to figure out a way to harness his energy and his tenacity to do his job and kind of guide him to be, the, you know, guide the missile to the – the right target. Um, so I took it as a good challenge cause I was a, they selected me cause I was a dog handler and I was really good at what I did. And, uh, we made it work with the help of our trainers and whatnot. We, we turned them into a, a force to be reckoned with, with for sure. So nice. it, was, it was just a, it's a good little, good little challenge for a new guy checking in. Yeah. Like, Here you go. We're going to give you this problem child. He was a problem child. Your, what your first test. Yeah. He was a problem child and that's, uh, that's another reason why I called the the book <clears throat> the underdogs um, because he was an underdog and um, so was I like I think throughout my whole life and so getting paired up with him I think it was again a God thing like we're gonna we're gonna do well as a team so nice um, we ended up doing uh, we didn't deploy until January of 2008 so we had about three months of workups so I had never deployed. To Afghanistan or Iraq, even before this, I certainly wasn't on your guys' level with doing combat. And here I am now running with a team with a dog. And it was just, it was like sucking through a fire hose. I mean, oh, I, I can imagine. I mean, yeah. not only are you, you know, you're with a combat unit, but you're with the tip of the spear combat unit where, yeah. you know, you guys are. For sure, going over there and going to see some stuff. I mean. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, my team leader uh, at the time, he told me a couple couple ops into Iraq. He's like, dude, I didn't think you were going to make it with us. Because, like, during training, they all run fast. Like, they, it's like there's no threat. So it seemed like everything was just fast. But when we got over to Iraq, everything slowed down. Mm-hmm. And, like, everybody, like, there was just, it just seemed like everything was slow and methodical. I mean, they, they were methodical in training, but they just, everything was fast. And so, yeah. to me, like, deploying actually was the best thing for me because it allowed me to, you know, work the dog and actually think. Did you find it, like, the training that you did before you went, you're like, oh, shit, this is, like, in, you know, like you said, fast, um, very uh, intense, some of it, right? But then when you go deploy it's almost easier. It's easier. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's done on purpose. You know, we, and as you know, obviously it's like in the community, it doesn't matter, you know, white side or a dev group. It's like the, the training is still the same to where, yeah, we're going to make this training as hard as possible and throw you in situations where, yeah, you know, you pretty much train to failure. Um, that's how you get better. Right. And, and that's why I remember being a new guy, you know, thinking that and going on deployment and being like, oh, 
this ain't that bad. And that's, we do that on purpose. So I, I think deployments right. aren't, you know, you're like, oh, okay, I've done this before. And obviously, yeah, you do slow it down on deployment because that's when real rounds are coming back at you. So, yeah. So we, we ended up deploying to Bakabai, Iraq. Um, we were in five. Warhorse, I think it was five Warhorse. War so we were right outside uh, Balad, somewhere out there in near that area, and um, it was my first experience having um, uh, rockets launched at, at the base. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was just like, "What the hell's going?" Like they just did it every day, and we had a nice big flagpole that seemed to be the thing that they would aim towards. Um, got to go out my first mission, the first one. Nothing happened. Um, the second one, you know, we we went out and we went to this town called Boys Town, is what they what the the intel guys called it because there was only men there. There was no women. There was no animals. There was no kids. Nothing. And I remember going out and I remember coming back talking to some of the seals and they're like, "That was the most eeriest thing we've ever been on because normally you see women and kids and but." what they were doing is rigging these houses to blow up. And so when the conventional forces would go in to clear, they were just HBIDs yeah. all over the place. And um, it was my first time going out and we were doing a call out and they're like, Hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to throw a thermal burr grenade at the door. And I was like, okay, cool. I don't know what that is, but cause I never seen it. <laughs> I never seen yeah. it before then. Um, Fucking doors blown open. There's, you know, shit on fire and the windows are all like, it brings everything, opens up everything, right? Like, yeah. it's just, it's just a cool feeling. The old T bomb. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, they called the dog up. I'm like, all right, this is what I practice. Cause the first time they didn't use me, they didn't need me for anything. And um, they said, send the dog in the doorway. So I sent the dog in the doorway and he's searching, searching, searching. And I'm like, I don't see anything. Um, we had a little little camera on him. Yep. Didn't see anything. And so he came back out. And I'm like, all right. And they're like, well, hey, just send him in there again. So I sent him in there again. And then we moved up with the team. He came back out. And then it was almost like, because it was so methodical, they would, they, would, they would clear. They would make entry. I would send the dog in right behind them. And he would push forward with them. And we would just move down this hallway. And it was just, like I said, everything slowed down. Mm-hmm. And so it allowed me to just kind of be in the right spot. They called Target Secure, and so we started searching the outbuildings. And um, this was like my first success with having the dog. He actually sat on a doorway into a little, I don't know, it was like a little shack. And when our dogs smell odor, they sit their butts on the ground, and they it's, it's just a passive alert. And so I called the EOD guy over and I say, hey, my dog's sitting on this doorway. I don't know what, what it is. And so they automatically thought it was rigged, you know, because that's what they do over there. And um, he looked, he cleared it and everything, and sure enough, there was a bunch of mortar rounds in there, so the dog hit hit on the ammunition, and which was just a cool cool thing for me anyways. Yeah. Um, they started to gain confidence in, 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 in us. Um, we do a couple more ops. The next op I talk about in the book, um, it's called – uh, in the, it's in the palm groves. So I don't know what these guys thought they were doing, but they watched all these guys bring a bunch of RPGs, heavy, heavy machine guns into these palm groves. So just palm groves and everything else is field. So I was like, what do these guys think is going to happen? Like, it just was really odd. 
And they said, we're going to drop um, two or four or 500 pound bombs on it. And then we're going to, we're going to land you guys on the Y. So they're going to, we're going to land pretty close, um, not on the X, but, but pretty close. And um, this was my first time being on an opposite helicopter that my team that I was going to run with was on because we were on um, the 60s and there was only so, so much room on there, Yeah, them and the dog. And so they drop us down in this field and I'm like, I got to run like, cause we were split up. I ran by myself across this field to get to these guys. And we ended up rolling just in an L shaped formation and just sending out the dog. Well, as we're sending out the dog, these grenades and stuff are going off and guys are trying to clear these trenches that these guys had dug. It was really weird. Like they had palm leaves all over these trenches so they could be hiding anywhere. It's probably yeah, from hiding from ISR as well. Yeah. 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 And so we get up to the first building that they bombed, and Digo is, like, trying to – he's barking at the building, trying to get in there, scratching at it, and that usually alerts that the guy is in there. And so this building is – we can't get into it. It's a small little shack. Well, turns out later they ended up pulling a guy out. Like, after we had left, they pulled somebody out of there. So Digo was alerting on this, on this little building, which was, again, another great experience for, for me. We ended up moving past that little building, and we got to this. Digo was bracketing back and forth. He could smell something, and we had ISR up up in the sky telling us, like, hey, the the guy's 40 meters or whatever this way. And I'm like, no, there's a guy right here. And he's bracketing, and we get up to these uh, this, like, wall of reeds that they had built, and it was really weird. Um I don't know. I don't know if it was like a fence line or what, but they built this wall and this dog, my dog's sitting there barking at this, you know, this wall. And I'm like, there's somebody here. And excuse me, they said, they kept on saying, no, there's a guy down here. He's down, he's over here. And I'm like, no, there's, there's one right here. And so our sniper calls over. He says, Hey, I found a, I found a way to the other side. He said, come down here. And my adrenaline's pumping. Like, I'm just like, it's, like, when they would beat us during the direct support course, like, you'd be like, how can I keep doing this? And, but when you're out on the, on the op and you're fucking putting out, it's like, you almost forget about the physical energy that you're putting out because of all the adrenaline that's coming, that's rushing through you. And so, we're running over to where he's at. And so, we get over there and I said, hey, he's on the other side about 50 meters and uh, we sent the dog, and sure enough, he beelined straight to there, and he ends up grabbing this guy by the throat. Like, Digo had the guy by the throat. And he has a fully loaded PKM, and I don't know why he didn't light it off when we were on the other side, but thank God he didn't. And the guy's fighting my dog, and I'm like, I can't get him to come off. Like, because he already loosened up his e-collar. I couldn't correct him to come off. And uh, I looked over at the my sniper, and I'm like, hey, dude, I was like, it's not safe for us to move up because he sees the PKM. And he's like, I'm like, just take take the shot. Like, take a shot. If you can not hit my dog, that would be great. And he ended up putting one through his head, through the guy's head, and we moved up, and that's how we knew the PKM was loaded. You know, we were just – it's just amazing that he did not – I mean, it's a blessing that he did not open up on us yeah. on the other side. So we pull him off, and then they say, hey, we engaged another guy. And now we're walking through this, like, um, this this water that's, like, runoff. And it's, like, 
smells mm, and it's yeah, nasty. Good old Iraqi water. It's like it's, just it's shit sewage. water. It's so gross. Yeah. I'm just thinking about it right now. It's good for your skin. Yeah. Um, that's why they give you the <laughs> malaria pills. Um, so they said they engaged him, but they're not sure, you know, if, if, if he's still alive. So we sent the dog to go find him and the dog's like trepsing through this water and he's mount, going on these mounds and then hopping back in and he ends up finding the guy and he, you know, just tearing at the guy, the guy's, guy's dead. Um, our guys engaged him before we knew he was dead a couple more times. And then, uh, he had a, you know, AK there and everything. And, um, so D goes chewing on this guy in this water and then I go down to get him and pull him off. Well, as I'm crawling back up this little mound, he fucking pulls me back the other way. And now I'm like head over heels in this water. Now my head's covered in it. And it's just, just nasty. But, um, yeah. that night, uh, that night really proved to those guys that like, we knew what we were doing. Um, there was, you know, other, other missions before I got blown up that continued to, to build that trust. But that was, um, that night like really cemented in our yeah, trust within the, yeah. within the squadron. Like, yeah. yeah, like you're now part of us and yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And then from there, I just wanted to be used on everything. But we had another dog handler, a SEAL, who was a dog handler, who had his dog. And so that was tough because uh, he had a new dog that wasn't doing doing quite as well. Um, and that's what happens when you have some new dogs. Like, they just – Yeah. Some, they just – some do really good and some need a little bit more training. Yeah, more um, experience. Yeah. And so uh, the night that we went out, um, uh, you know, Nate Hardy – Mm-hmm. My Coke. So the night that we went out, I took that really hard because I didn't go on that building with them. I went with a different team. I normally ran with their, their team whenever I was out with them. But because they had thought the threat was at this other building that we went on, and which it was, there was a threat there. We had this, uh, we had, um, what do they call it? The little birds. Like yeah. they were lighting up this building and this guy's like, either a suicide vest or something goes off. And I'm like, all this, these rounds are raining down upon, like on the little birds right above us. Yeah. And you could just, you could just feel it. And you're just, it's just a, and at that time we didn't know that, that they were going to be dealing with another set of, uh, no barricaded shooters. Barricaded. Okay. Yep. So the target that Mike and Nate were on, uh, the building that they were on, they had the three bear, I think it was three barricaded shooters in, in there. I think that's what they found out it, it was or how many were there. And so we were dealing with that. And then we had another small building and the small building only had women and children in it. So it wasn't nothing that we were nothing going on. And then we heard over the radio, um, we have Eagles down and I never knew, I didn't know what that meant. Like, just I'm be honest with you. Like, cause really? we know, well, I mean, even in the medical training, like I, I don't recall ever hearing that. Because we went through, you know, like the pig labs and all that, like to learn how to bandage people up. Um, I didn't know what that was. So we booked, I've never seen people move so fast. Like we we, we left our target and went down there. And um, the dog handler on that building was uh, dealing with trying to get Mike and Nate out of the, I guess, the the, the doorway. Yeah. Um, because they had sent the dog in there. And it was a small building, probably the size of this room, maybe smaller. And they were hiding behind furniture and blankets and stuff. And I guess the dog went in and just, you know, didn't really alert to anything. Um, and, and as soon as they broke the doorway. And so 
when I saw those two down, you know, laying there when we got there, um, then I, I, like, I was like this up until then, like we're winning, like we didn't have any casualties, like we didn't have anybody get hurt. And so it's just a, you know, and Nate, he helped me with Digo shaving his, cause no one wanted to touch Digo. Digo still wanted to bite everybody. No one wanted to help me, and Digo had gotten some barbed wire a cut on his on his hind quarter, and he was the only one that was willing to help me. And so seeing him laying there, like it just it was like it, it just a, a gut punch, and I I didn't know that they were, I just didn't know what was going on. And uh, Mike Coke, he gave me a Patagonia jacket when we first got over there. They ordered all this gear for the, for the guys. He's yeah. like, hey, did you get your jacket? And I was like, I don't think they ordered me a jacket. He's like, well, here, take mine. And it was just, I was like, no, I don't want your jacket. I was like, I got the, I got the standard Navy issue jacket. He's like, no, he's like, you want this jacket. And, um, so I still have his jacket to this day, but seeing those two, two guys laying there really, really hit me hard. Cause they, they had taken time out to actually interact with me on deployment. Yeah. I mean, I remember sitting there playing video games with them, you know, when you don't have nothing to do. And it was the night of the Super Bowl, you know, so we're going out during the Super Bowl and. We come back and you're like, all these people are at the Super Bowl or celebrating the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. and we're, you know, we're having to send these guys back, and so that was, that was a, a, a difficult time. Yeah, I'm sure that was yeah. a huge, uh, like you said, a gut punch and also a reality check that yeah, this is these are the consequences of this job that if things you know and. You know, that, you know, dev group and even, you know, the white side, we train so much. So those things hopefully don't happen. And we try to mitigate as much risk, you know, to ourselves while trying, while still being able to accomplish the job and get the mission done. But the reality is war is war. And yeah, you, there's some things that you just aren't in control of um, and things happen. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that was yeah a big reality check for you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so I still, you know, I mean, I just, I don't know, I'm just thankful for, for guys like them. I mean, they, and then Louis Affront, you know, we ended up going out, I think they, four nights later we went out, and I don't know if it was con- in connection to the same guy or the same the same target line, but we had watched them on ISR for the whole day, so we had no thought that they would be, that they would you know, rig that house because they moved around normally. They didn't really change anything. And that night they said, we're only taking one dog handler and we're taking you. And I'm like, okay, you know, I wasn't going to fight it. You know, I mean, I'm, it's not, the team leader is a seal. He can, he can, if he wants to, he makes the call. Yeah. But, uh, they wanted the team wanted Digo. So, um, so we were going and, uh, they said, we're going to roll out on these strikers, these little fucking tin cans that you ride in, into Bakaba. And so we're riding in these things, you know, to Bakaba, Iraq, which is like a city that is a little bit more heavily heavily populated and it's dense. Like it's a metro, I want to say it's a metropolitan, but it's just like a city. Like yeah. all the houses are real next together. We always went to the villages. It was just different. And it was really eerie, eerie feeling, you know, getting out of those things. And patrolling up to the building, you can hear gunfire in the background. And um, we get up to the building, and they said, hey, we're going to do a call-out on the building um, just because it's been known for HBIDs. 
I said, okay, I'm going to just position myself away from the women and children that are coming out because, again, Digo being Digo, I had to kind of protect him from himself. He wanted to bite everything. <laughs> I mean, as soon as yeah. he smelt, as soon as he smelt, you know, whatever smell he smelled of those people, like he just, it just something in him like lit on fire. It's like, it's like when we trained him on the bite suit, as soon as they see that, that bite suit, they're just, it's like eyes roll back in the back of their head and they're, you know, wanting yeah. to go full force. So uh, I positioned myself kind of a little, a little ways away and uh, my team leader, Mikey, always said, your biggest threat probably is going to come from behind you. So I, I, I just always look to the back because if everybody's looking at the target building, then what yeah. the hell am I going to do? If yeah. you got all these seals that are, you know. You got eyes on there, I'll <laughs> yeah, yeah. take the rear. So uh, they all start coming out. And then a couple couple guys came out the front door with AKs, and they, they engaged them in the front door. And um, they're laying on the ground, and we don't know if they're playing possum or not. And so he sends one more – my team leader sends one one of the ladies in to go pull down all the blankets and curtains and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, and so that we can send the dog in, and he can make his way through. And uh, she comes back out, and – and that's it. Like, we're just like, all right, cool. So he, he says, dog up. And I, I get up next to him. I say, dog up. And he says, send it. And so I sent the dog in, and sure as shit, Digo goes right for the dead bodies. And we didn't know they were dead at the time, but if they're playing possum, you're surely going to find out. And he starts just dragging them around. And I'm like, I call over the team leader, and I said, I'm not going to get this dog to go past these guys because he's going to go for the free bite every time. And uh, I said, we're going to have to move up a little bit closer uh, in order for me to send my dog in. And I- I've kind of held on to this because if I could have sent my dog in, like from past those people, if I had the ability to, it might have saved us from getting hurt and from Louie being killed. Um, so I kind of hold on to that even to this day. It's like if there was anything else I could have done to get that dog to go in, I, I would have done it. And um, I see this big bay window. And I always look for other ways to send the dog in than the front door um, just because if somebody's waiting there, they're going to look for, like, that's the first thing they're going to see. So I always want to give the dog the opportunity. And so I go and I kneel down in front of the big bay window, and the team leader says, we're going to put a, a, a frag through the front door, and then and then you can send the dog. And so they get the call over the radio. They send it in. I'm kneeling down. And I know that the blast from the grenade could probably come through that that window, so I kind of duck my head down. As it goes off, I lift my head up, and I could just feel this immense pressure at my face. And I'm just like, this isn't good. Like, I don't know what this is, but it's only a split second. Yeah. Right? Like, so I had this thought for a split second that this isn't good, and everything was dark. Like, everything went dark. And um, the building had detonated. Um, they think that the guy was on the third or second floor. When he heard the, f- the grenade go off, he, he detonated whatever explosives they had in the building. So, yeah. Um, I'm buried underneath this pile of rubble. Um, I talk about it in the book. I had this God moment. Like, still gives me chills to this day. Um, I think 30 seconds later, they start to uncover me. Um, but before that, like, I wake up, and I cannot move. And I'm thinking that I was, like, buried alive, like your worst worst thoughts. Yeah. Like, I couldn't move. I, I was just – and everything was dark. 
And um, excuse me, I have allergies right now. Texas is trying to kill me. Uh, the, al- <laughs> the, the, the allergies down in Texas are no joke. Um, so I can't move, and I'm like, somebody forgot about me. Like, because I remembered I was on an op. Yeah. And I'm like, maybe they maybe I got buried alive. I don't know. And um, I'm calling for my dog. I'm yelling for my dog, but nobody can hear me. And then all of a sudden, these blocks get lifted up off of me. And uh, I see, uh, I think it was Chuck. Uh, he's the first guy I saw. And he's like, are you, are, you, are you okay? And he's like, I think so. My nod is hanging. Like I have, you know, you had nods. And then one of them was like hanging. It was attached to a lanyard. It was hanging down, like slapping me in the face. And I'm like, I think I lost my nods. And he's like, don't worry about that. Like, that's the last thing you need to worry about right now. (laughs) And um, so I was like, where's Digo? And he's like, Digo's over there trying to bite everybody right now. And he's like, let me get some more of this stuff off of you. And we're covered in this, like, barbed wire and stuff and, like, rebar and whatnot. And uh, he comes back over to me and he says, hey, he's like, your dog's trying to bite everybody. Uh, again because Digo had I was attached to a lanyard with Digo and the blast was so strong that it sent him um like 20 feet away like it snapped the 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 metal buckle and um I reached into my pocket and I with my left wrist and I realized I couldn't move my left wrist and it hurt really bad and then I realized my my wrist was broken so I was like oh that's not good so I reached in with my right hand and I hand him this mesh muzzle. I said, hey, put this on him. He won't do anything. And so they put it on him and was able to get him out. And they came back over, and they started uncovering more stuff. And I see them trying to get Luke because they, they're yelling for Louie. Excuse me. They're yelling for him. And uh, he was underneath the carport at the time. And um, they, the carport had just come down on top of him. So I think they... Um, I think they went into one of the strikers and got these airbags that they use to lift whenever yeah. they roll over. And they use that to kind of... jaws of life. Yeah, to get them out. Mm-hmm. And um, so they're working on him. They're uncovering me. And then, like, two guys come over to me, and I look down at my legs, and I'm like, oh, that doesn't look good. Like, I have uh, a leg going that way, a leg going that way. And uh, two guys tried lifting me up by my shoulders. And Chuck says... Chuck tells me to this day, he's like, I've never heard somebody scream like that before. And turns out both femurs uh, were shattered. So I shattered both my femurs uh, five times in one and seven times in another. And uh, they put me right back down. They're like, yeah, we're not moving you. And so at that point, they didn't know if I was bleeding out internally. Yeah. And uh, I guess the mortality rate on one broken femur is not good, but then having two is, is pretty bad. And uh, they ran out of litters. Because two other guys, well, three or four other guys had gotten hurt, and they were trying to get them out. And um, finally they come back over, and they're like, this is going to hurt really bad. And I was like, yep. And uh, they picked me up. Four of them picked me up, and uh, it did hurt really bad. Uh, They laid me in the striker, and to this day I'll never forget it. Um, They laid me right on top of Louie. We were on that aisle, the floor. Yeah. And they laid me right on top of him, and I look over at the PJ, and I'm like, hey, I'm like, is he gone? Because I'm delusional. Yeah, you're right. I'm like, I'm chewing on those fentanyl lollipops that they give you. Mm -hmm. Like, I had about four of them already. Like, I just would eat them. 
and uh, everybody they were giving me all of theirs and um and that's when I knew like I mean I just they looked over me and said he's you know he's he's gone and um and this sounds kind of morbid but um laying next to him like kind of got me through got me through that part to the helicopter and then I blacked out a few more times um, no, it doesn't sound morbid. Well, what, what, what do you think? What part of that helped just you he, get through? Like just him being there, and then, like, he, like kept me warm. Yeah, I, I, I was like, I was cold. We like were in that. shock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, I don't know, man. It, it was just a, uh, it was a shitty feeling. Um, and then they get us back to Balad, uh, and then they start. They unload us, and I could hear Digo losing his shit in, in the, like, tent hospital that he brought us into. And the doctor comes over to me, and he's like, hey, um, has anybody straightened your legs yet? And I'm like, the hell are you talking about? They look straight right now. And he's like, no. He's like, you would know if they straightened them. <laughs> and um, he calls over two, doc- two corpsmen or whatever the Army equivalent was, and uh, he's like, I need you to lay on top of him, and we're going to straighten his legs real quick before we put you into the MRI machine. Excuse me. So they um <coughs> they uh they grab each leg and I can still feel it in my I can feel it in my body right now how that felt, but they grab he grabs my foot and he just gives it a quick shake and a pull and um and there again I, I screamed as probably oh, as, I'm loud, sure. <coughs> as loud as I could. And um I was like, I hope, and I talked to the guys later on, you know, obviously years later, and I'm like, I hope you guys don't think I was a pussy for for screaming. And they're like, no, you're you're completely fine in in being in pain, and so <laughs> I just, like, I, I was like a, I don't know, it's just a weird. Oh, believe me, I know everybody. Yeah, it's no one wants to sound like no, like a little bitch, but it's like, dude, yeah, no one else has gone through that. Like, there's nobody that could take that. I mean, pulling traction on a broken femur and I've done it before oh, so on that, people. That's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. usually what they do is that you, you, if you have the equipment, you put a traction splint on there and it's a slow, like crank, right. And it yeah. cranks it back into place. But if they did it manually, like with their, I mean, maybe he yanked as hard as he could. Yeah. That's like pure because there's no gradual, uh, progression. Like, okay, it's hurts a little bit, hurts a little bit, hurts a little bit pop. And all right. That's yeah. like full on. Like, here you go. You're getting the full benefit. Uh, yeah. So yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so he takes me out. They they wheel me over to the MRI machine, and before and they're like, we're gonna put you under. And at this point, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Um, I I thought maybe I was gonna probably die. Um, I hadn't died yet, so that was a good sign. Uh, the doctor or the priest comes over to me and he says, "Hey, he's like, I'm gonna pray over you real quick." And up until this point, I had just been to just a Lutheran church growing up. Like, mm-hmm. they, like, forced to go to church, right? Like, not on my own yep. of finding God, I, I right? I grew up Catholic, and I know the feeling. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> he's like, do you mind if I pray over you? And I was like, sure, I'll take anything at this point. And um, I was like, well, if this is it. Uh, so my wife was pregnant, and I get, I get teary-eyed thinking about Oof, this. My wife was yeah. pregnant at the time, so uh, she was nine months pregnant when I got blown up. And uh, I was like, well, I'm probably not going to get to see my son if, if this ends the way I think it's going to end. And uh, 
So I said, said, sure. And so next thing I know, I wake up and I have an erector set on the outside of my femurs, each femur mm-hmm. screw. I have bolts, the bottom of the femur, the top of the femur, and that just keeps it pretty much steady. And uh, Master Chief comes over. He's a squatter Master Chief. He came over and talked to me, and he's like, hey, I, we got to call your wife. Do you do you want to call her or do you want us to call her? And uh, I was like, I'm just going to call her. I'll do it because I don't, I don't need her worrying. And um, I called her, and she's like, well, I'm already doing laundry. And she's like, I think something – she's like, I knew something ha- – like, she's like, I just felt like something happened to you because when Mike and Nate got – got killed when they died <clears throat> they shut down everything over there like no communications right yeah they call it going i forget what the uh river city yeah river city that's yep. it so um i had made the dumb mistake of calling my wife at a certain time every time i was over there to make sure how she was doing with with the baby and everything <clears throat> and um so she's like i knew something had happened she's like i wasn't sure if it happened to you but i feel i like felt like Something happened, and the command had me, hasn't even notified her yet back at back in Virginia Beach. And to be honest with you, I talked to uh, – I wrote in my book, um, the kennel master on the board up in the, um, in the main buildings, like they had all the list of the casualties, and they had mine as unknown. Like so they had – or expectant or whatever. Yeah. And so they thought – they didn't know it was an HBID. They didn't know I got – they didn't know if it was got shot. They didn't even know if I was alive or dead. So um, they were waiting to find that out. I guess they didn't know, and that's why they never. That's why they, they waited so long to contact her. Yeah, and that's always, you know, you know obviously dealt with that numerous yeah. times, and that's always a uh, touchy subject yeah. for people. But I understand the point. You know, when they do go River City, and they're like, "Hey, you can't call anybody or anything because." I've seen it go both ways, you know, and I'm sure you've heard like yep. guys are still alive, but they're just not able to call back or communicate. But then wives will get the message that they're dead. Um, yep. And then you have this poor wife, you know, for the next three days, sometimes like thinking that their husband's gone. Uh, and, you know, it's also vice versa. So, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's always a finicky thing, man. That's yeah. yeah that, I'm, it, it, it's harder on the command too, because yeah. they're the ones who have to make that call. Yeah. yeah, and I wasn't, I wasn't mad or anything. No, I was kind of happy they didn't, they didn't bother because if you don't know the, the whole extent of it, why, why bring her into it yet? Um, so I ended up going to Germany, Bethesda. I'm kind of fast forwarding a little bit. I uh, ended up getting two rods shoved down my femurs, a plate in my wrist, and having to learn how to walk all over again. And, um, you know, to this day, I don't know how I made it back and deployed again. Even then, um, it took me nine months to recover, which the doctors were like, you know, we're going to talk about med boards and this and that. And, um, I just, uh, refused to, to accept it. And so I went back to the command nine months later. Uh, they sent me over to Chicago to do rehab because my son, my son was about to be born. Mm -hmm. And since I couldn't help. My wife, my wife grew up there, and her parents were going to help out with that, and um, sent me over to Chicago. They spent, I mean, I looked at the bill. It was like well over two hundred thousand dollars in fixing me um, again, and um, nine months of rehab. I went back to the command in September of that year, and I said I was like good to go, 
and they said, well, we're going to let you, we're going to make you, we're going to skip this deployment with your squadron. And even to this day, like there, no one, they're like, I don't know how you, how you did that so fast. Um, Lou Langless, he had me come talk to the direct, direct support course and explain the importance of, you know, cause I had my blow all my med stuff, like my blowout kit and everything when everything was going on. And he's like, I want you to talk to these guys on the importance of this course and like really how it helped you. And so I did that. And, uh, he's like, so what's your plan? And I said, he's like, when are you, are you going to retire? I said, no, I'm coming back. And he looked at me, he's like, you're coming back. I said, yeah, I'm coming back. I'm, I'm going to come back and make it through this. And, um, Tuan, uh, a really good friend of mine, mm-hmm. um, he, when I redeployed back over to Afghanistan in January of, so a year later, like, so a year after I get blown up, less than a year, he's like, he tells me this day, he's like, I never expected one of our own to come back from your injuries, but for you to, to do that, he's like, that's pretty, yeah, pretty remarkable. It's impressive. And so, uh, I ended up redeploying with another dog because Digo was having some PTSD issues or whatever, like he just would not engage like he'd normally would have. Uh, he had went with a new handler uh, with the squadron, so they were having issues. And I was like, well, I'm not going to go be a courier. I'll go help him train his dog, train Digo, but I would like to take another dog. And so I took another dog and deployed there. And um, again, I'm kind of fast tracking, but I did uh, three more deployments. And then my last deployment was. Were um, they all to <laughs> Afghanistan? So the la- the the other three were to Afghanistan because yeah. we had we had stopped going to Iraq. Yeah, so. yeah. I remember during that time. Yeah, yeah. Just another one. How of those. were those deployments? They were great. Um, I got paired up with uh, other dogs, like just you know badasses, and you know again, just my my favorite dog was was Brando during the time that was my last deployment. Like I told you about, um, you know Brando. He could do the work, but he also could also have the off the off switch. And so the guys were able to, like, I'd come out and sometimes Brando would just be out, out in the courtyard playing with, you know, with the guys. Yeah. You know, we had a little tiki hut there where we would, you know, hang out at night whenever we weren't going out. Yeah, and so, decompress. And- yeah, and so he would be there. And um, I had him out especially a lot after extortion just because it just was good to have it's just good. Yeah, to have that a dog. was a rough time for everybody. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, he just I don't know, he just really got me through that. And then um, I don't know. I mean, I just it just it was a great it was a it was a good time having having a dog like that. So again, I believe God puts puts you it with what you need and um, that especially. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, dude, I think it's remarkable. You know that you that happened. You know you got jacked up as bad as you did, and you mean not only like the recovery that was that's the fastest recovery for those injuries I've heard yeah. of, um, but that's just the mindset you had of like, no, I want to go back. Um, yeah, I know that you probably earned the respect of a lot of people um, just making that decision because that's not easy. You know. Yeah, um, uh, psychologically, it's definitely. Uh, I, I think it was more mind over you know anything physical and then I remember going back a year later and uh the first mission wasn't bad like they you know just regular 3k three and a half k walk in like it wasn't bad I remember the second one and uh they're like we're gonna drop you into this bowl 
It's like a little, a little bowl, and there's about three inches of snow. Well, when they dropped us in, I was watching guys move slower and slower. Well, they dropped us into three feet of snow, <laughs> and we had to climb out of it, and I just was like, well, this is really going to put my legs to the test, you know, because you don't want to fall out. Like, yeah. Any anybody that falls out, like you're you're pretty much gone. You're gone. Yeah. yeah. So I, it's you know having to hump through that and and all that. It was yeah interesting. <laughs> so you did those three deployments, right? Uh, how many years you got in at this point after those three deployments? I was in eight years. Eight years. Eight or nine years, somewhere in there. Okay, so that's usually the decision point, right? Of uh, are you going to stay reenlist, stay in for the long run? Or yeah, I, I so um, I wasn't sure if I was going to stay at Damneck. Uh, I just wasn't sure during that deployment. But then when extortion happened, that was like really a breaking point for me. I was like, I can't do this no more. Like, because I was I was already struggling with. Um, a- after that, I was struggling with PTSD, and they were going to send me back to out into the fleet. And so going back out into the fleet from Doing what we did there. Yeah, that's not a good call. So I got stuck in an office as a kennel master, which is, again, I as my choice, made to go do it. But I'm struggling with PTSD. I'm addicted to narcotics. I was addicted to Vicodin. Like, I was I was using Vicodin to make my, my days. I, I would like to say I was a I, – I, I was a very quali- – I could operate as an addict. <laughs> I could get all my work done, but it was uh, – um, but it you was, were dependent on the Vicodin to get the work done. Yeah, I mean, my like, just my body hurt uh, mentally. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't. I just it stuck me in an office, right? Like in a in an office by myself. And when I was used to being around the guys, and I was just over at Little Creek, so I knew they were right down the road. And even the Little Creek, you know, the seals there, you know, helicopters going over and stuff like that. Like that shit's real. Like, like the the mental. The mental part well, of Well, yeah, just those, like, sounds, uh, yeah. stuff like that can really trigger, yeah, the anxiety or those those feelings you get, yeah. right? And and I was back out in the fleet with people that didn't understand. <clears throat> um, luckily, I had a chief's mess, so I, I made chief um, when I went to Little Creek, and I felt ashamed because I was, like, crying, and I would go hide in my office. Like, I remember there would be times... Um, driving down the road, I'd have to stop because I couldn't go into the base being in the, the way I, way I was. And, um, you know, again, I had a chief's mess that it was, it was odd that they actually, like they, they, they took care of, took care of me. Did they know what was going on with you? Um, uh, Oglesby, senior chief Oglesby, uh, he was, he knew what was going on. I, I believe he knew what was going on. Um, I had a security officer at the time, and I don't think he understood why I was going to all of the psych, psych, psych appointments I was going to. Um, like, they wouldn't even let me arm up because I was on this me- – this, they put me on this um, this medicine that, you know, uh, what is it called? Antipsychotic meds. Yeah, it's, it's like Every- depression meds. Yeah. yeah. And um, so they don't let you arm up. But when I was at Damn Neck, I was on them. And yeah. I was – I was, and so, <laughs> yeah. like, that – like, they took away my ability to, to do anything. And um, – it was just, uh, again, it was really difficult. Uh, and I knew I needed to make a change, and I was like. How I, was the um, family life at that time with the wife and the 
and the, the new kid. That was our our hardest yeah. time. I mean, this was 2012 now because mm-hmm. I, I, you know, obviously recovered. And we had a daughter who was, you know, she's now three. My son's five. And um, marriage is, uh, like, rough. Like, it was hard. Yeah. You know, ha- her having to deal with me. Like, I give her props. That oh, she that's, had to deal. it takes a strong, strong woman to yeah. to deal with, you know, guys that, have gone and done that job and come back with the issues and the repercussions from doing that job. Yeah. And, you know, again, like just being in, back in the fleet, like I had a, um, it broke now, but I had an extortion one seven bracelet and uh, I was going through chief's tra- or chief initiation. And I had this guy come up to me that wasn't, he didn't have a master chief hat on or anything. <laughs> like I didn't know who he was. And he's like, shipmate, that's not authorized. And this was a year after this was coming up on the anniversary of it. And I was like, I'd like to see a motherfucker take it off of me. And uh, he's like, well, really? And he's he's like, do you know who you're talking to? And I'm like, I don't care. No, I don't. Yeah, I don't care. And um, another ch- chief that was there, like, pulled me aside and, and just was like, come with me. Like, we, we'll pull you out of out of this for right was now. Was this during the chief initiation? <laughs> it was. It was. But oh. I turned out it turned out to be a really great opportunity to talk to him because I went and talked to him afterwards. I didn't know he was. Um, I believe it was the USS Cole, like he was on there, and he had said that he had went through some similar issues just with you know, psychological stuff, I guess. And so I, I don't know. Again, it one of those things, like it turned out to not be a. Yeah, it's just, yeah. yeah. I think I could have been a little bit more tactful, but again, I, it, the day that, that, that I did that, they took us on this run, and they were like, they had all these falling, fallen service members that were chiefs. And so as we're doing this run, we had to read this card, and the first one that pops up is Adam Brown's card. And I, I couldn't read it. Like, I just was like, I was in shock that it snuck up on me. I didn't know, I didn't know that they were going to do that. You know what I mean? Like, you just don't expect that to yeah. happen. So, it, I don't know. It was just, uh, it was hard. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's, you know, you went through a lot. <laughs> yeah. And that's, uh, you know, a lot of trauma. Um, and then of course back then, I mean, and still now I'm, I believe, you know, nobody really knows how to deal with that kind of trauma in, in the, yeah. in the Navy or in the military in general, yeah. right? You're the attitude that's passed down is just suck it up and keep doing your job. Yeah. Right. And that's the attitude that most of us all have. Right. Which is, yeah. I think one of the many reasons we all end up getting, uh, addicted to pills, um, you know, we will do whatever we have to to keep doing the job and keep yeah. operating. Much like, uh, you know, you compare it to um, NFL players or you know these professional athletes. It's there. It's the same premise, right? It's like just keep playing. Yeah. Just keep going out there and performing. Oh, you're hurt. Here, take this. Oh, you're hurt. And they, you know, and I will say I I don't blame the command or like the institution. It's just what's bred into us yeah. and it's who we are. Uh, yeah. We're never going to quit. Right. Uh, never going to quit or even want to ask for help. Like, no. And that's, I think that, you know, it, that's also to the detriment of, yeah. of us as well. Right. Um, I'm ho- hopefully they're getting better at yeah. spotting these issues uh, when they arise and actually being like, Hey dude, let's go take a time out and not making people feel ashamed for doing it, you know, yeah. because it is normal, man. It's, yeah. Everything that you felt, uh, everything that you went through, it's, it's n- not, uh, there's nothing wrong with you. And that's what I try to explain to a lot of the guys I know, you know, yeah. 
it's like, no, dude, there's, there's repercussions for doing this job. Um, and no human being is really supposed to see the things that we see, yeah. do the things that we do, and then come out of it like, yeah, I'm all good. Yeah. Like, we're not robots. We're human beings, too. So That's what my wife has told me. She's like, you know, what you went through, she's, you know, she's like, no one would expect somebody to have to go through that. Like, you know, all the stuff when we went to go pack to pack up the guy's stuff from extortion, right? Like, just, we just having to go pack up somebody's stuff and send it back to, and all of, like, there was so many. Yeah. And then having to go through um, all the guns and everything that came off that, that, that helicopter, like, all the, it just, it, she's like, you, you should have a little bit more grace for yourself. Like, that's yeah difficult. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was a big transition going back to the fleet, and then I finally was like, I made, I made chief, and then I got selected for LDO. And I had a lot of people that are like, why are you going for a med board? And I said, I, I can't do this no more. Like, I'm, my body hurts. I can't, you know, my, my mind, like, if I can't do what I was doing before, I'd, I just want to be done. Yeah. And uh, the surgeon was like, well, you have every right to do a med board. He's like, I wanted to put you in two years ago <laughs> when you, because I kept coming to him. And so they put me in for a med board and um, turned out to be the best decision of, of my life. And I, I think the, because, you know, now I'm doing uh, Patriot Dog Training, which is a company that I I started. Um, I didn't know you could take, like, dog training, the skill in the military, and then take it out, and people would actually pay you for training their dog. I didn't I, yeah. just, I didn't realize people cared that much about their animals, but it turns out they love, love their dogs. And um, I'll have to send you uh, my three French Bulldogs <laughs> because uh, they don't listen for shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, French, French Bulldogs are... are are, are just defiant in yes, general. Which yeah, is they, why I like them. They don't care. Yeah. Um, so I got to start that. And then we, like, I just lining up this podcast, like we closed on our, our new property yesterday. And so like, and I had never left the military, you know, I probably would have never done this, but, but honestly working with you guys and like your, your drive to like that, you guys showed me your drive to like innovate and do something new. Like those guys at, at the, at the command, always trying new things, like trying to make something better. And so um, I was able to take that into entrepreneurship, which I didn't have an entrepreneur background because my mom worked at the post office. She worked at the stockyards in Salt St. Paul. And so my family didn't have that. Yeah. And I certainly didn't have that mindset. No, you and me both. Yeah. Believe me. How, how's that been so far? Like we're getting out, transitioning, you know, from being in the military to the civilian sector and then doing the whole entrepreneurship. Um, how, how's that been? Well, that's, that, that's been good. Be, you know, um, when I started writing my book in 2013, I was writing it because I wanted to give something back to my kids. Right. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's Did you been, find it a difficult decision to write the book. It was definitely a, a difficult decision just because of, you know, I, I'm leading this into the into the Patriot. But um, I had started with that because uh, I wanted to give something back to my kids. And um, quickly after doing that and telling people, I got all this hate, right, because from guys that were still in. Yep. And they just don't understand. Um, and <clears throat> so, you know, I don't want to ever forget 
I, like, but there's a reason why my hat is black and I have this this yellow logo. It's it's the Gold Squadron colors. Like, mm-hmm. I always want to rem- like every time I put it on, I remember the guys. But it's it's my logo and it's just something that reminds me of them and I never want to forget. Well, I found out my grandparents, my two grandmas, they both have dementia, and so I never want. I wanted to write a book so I would not forget. You know, so it'd always be out there. And, um, you know, I started Patriot Dog Training because of because of the military, and, I, and I, I wanted to pay tribute to the guys. And so if you walk in my building, like, you'll see, you'll see all the guys from Extortion. You'll see Mike and Nate's. I, I have it there, so people will ask me, what is that? Yes. Why? So you can tell their story. I can tell their story, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's great that that business makes me money or whatever, but money is not the driving driving was never the driving focus of it it was so i could tell more people about you know those guys and so um i've had a couple guys from the command that have come in and they're like wow this is really awesome and um you know that's that's been what my my driving force behind it and so um yeah it's, it's been great good and you know i'll give you a piece of advice all right um because I remember when we had the conversation before you got here and you were like, hey, you know, yeah. we're working out you coming down here, being on the podcast. Uh, and you were like, hey, I just want you to know. And you said at the beginning, like, I'm not a SEAL. I'm not this. I'm not that. You know, that doesn't matter, man. Right. I'm, I'm telling you right now. Uh, I mean, it's great. You're like, hey, just let you know I wasn't one. But that doesn't define like you. It doesn't make you any like right. lesser than a seal or a guy, you know, at the squadrons and you have earned the spot where you're at right now. You've earned the reason to write that book. All right. You've done the job. And for guys that are giving you all this hate that are still in, and believe me, it's not because you're a dog handler or you weren't a seal. It's because those individuals, because they give the same amount of hate to other seals as well, who want to do the same thing. Like, hey, I want to do something in remembrance, right, of yeah. maybe somebody they lost. Or, like you said, I want to do something so my kids will be able to read this when they're older and hopefully pass that down to their kids, right? right? It's like a lineage thing. Um, the guys that are in, and I don't – I tell guys this too. I'm like, you can't get mad at them, right? Because it is sort of – you know, it's hurtful like for to have people talk yeah. trash or – spew hate at you but here's the thing they don't know any better they live in that bubble and i was part of that bubble uh you know and i that's why i can't get mad at them because i was the same way when i was in like oh how dare you right go out there and tell stories or whatever about things that we've done all right and that's why um those guys that are in and spewing that hate it's not even ones that are in still, right? Like, but or it's, guys it, that and are it's out. people I never, like, I never really truly served with, too, right? Like, they just, exactly. They don't even I, know I, you. I've met them, and a lot of it's jealousy. Yeah. A lot of it is like, how dare you go be successful? Yeah. How dare you do something? And using your past history to tell a story, right? You just have to let that go, man. Oh, of course. Just ignore. I mean, I'm not saying that you're not letting it go. I but these this is advice I tell people, especially you know other team guys that are making the same decision, right? There's a way to tell these stories that's respectfully, and that's right. what you've done. And and like as long as you're being respectful, yeah. and you are bringing honor 
to those individuals that are no longer with us or for the individuals that you served alongside with, then there's nothing yeah. wrong with doing it. Well, my reasoning has changed too, even since then. Like I, I started, it was, it was about my kids and then it was about remembering. And then now it's like, you see all these people that are just lost and they think that nothing is possible, right? Unless the government's going to help, like help them get somewhere, oh, yeah. right? Or you can't do it on your own. Like let, let's, let's help you. And so, um, a lot of my life before wasn't necessarily focused around God, right? But it, as my life, I want people to see as my life went, he was there, he was there with me. Like, it, yes, it was me doing it. But when people said I couldn't, he said, no, but I can. Yep. And, um, it's like this song that I've, I, I'm stuck on. Like I listen to Christian music a lot now. I don't listen, like in my book, I tell the readers, like, this is the music I would listen to before I go on an app. I'd plug it into my headset, like non-Christian music, like Marilyn Manson, like the beautiful people. Like, oh, yeah, the f- pump, pump up music to get yeah. you, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so I wanted to tell people, and again, this song, it's called God's Problem, God's Problems. I don't, it's a Christian uh, music singer. Um, tell somebody that anything is possible. And so if you look at my life, like no father, right? Um, I didn't talk about this in the beginning. I was molested when I was 11, right after my dad went to prison. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everybody told me I couldn't when I was, you know, blown up, you know, other than my, my close family, you know, my wife. Um, and then getting out and being addicted to pills, like anything's possible. Yep. As long as, yeah, as, long as you have faith. Yeah. I mean... That's it's like that uh, story. All right, I'm probably going to jack it up, but it's the one where, uh, you know, there's two sets of footsteps. Someone's walking. You know, it's like when Jesus is walking with you, and then all of a sudden it turns into one, and you're like, "Oh, Jesus, why did you leave me?" You know, there's only one set of footprints here now, and he's like, "That's my footprints. That's when I was carrying you." You know. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, man, dude. When so the book is supposed to come out in. Yeah, early so release December. Early release on Ballast Books, their website, ballastbooks.com, I believe it yep. is. Um, so those will all be hard copies with signatures, and then it'll come out on Amazon in January. And then... Uh, the Underdog? The Underdogs. Underdogs. Yeah. Well, you know, Kurt Warner did The American Underdog, and I had had this title since, dude, like, honest to God, had this title. I still have it on the old-ass computer that I started it out on. Um I just wanted it to, I mean, I felt really truly felt like underdog from the beginning of my life. I mean, again, I go back to not having a father, right? Like, yeah. So the underdogs, so I got the dogs in there and, um, you know, they, they start out a very hard life too. Like, like for them to get to where they, they end up at is, is very difficult. And so only the best make it there. And, um, yeah, it comes out in, in, uh, end of December before Christmas and then uh, January. Nice. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll put the link when this podcast cool. comes out to have people, you know, know where to find it. Absolutely. Uh, and dude, that's it's awesome. I'm glad you're writing the book. I, you know, I think it's a awesome and compelling story, and I, you know, I'm sure it's going to inspire others. And that's the point, right? It's yeah. as long as you're helping others, you know, because the world is full of underdogs. Um, yeah. And so. 
you know, good on you, brother, thank for, you. for doing that. I appreciate it, was, it. it was a uh, pleasure having you on this podcast, man. Um, thank you for sharing your story, and thank you for, you know, going to details on some of the traumatic events. Uh, I know that can be difficult at times. Um, yeah. Well, I know you had a, you, you, like you said, you had your best friend, you know, or well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, extortion, so, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I, I was, I just, you know, there's all kinds of details, and I just, you know, I just want to make sure I, you know, show respect and do honor justice. to those guys. And yeah, so yeah, I'm sure you are, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, appreciate you, brother. Thank you. All right, out. Yeah, man. Great job, brother. Sorry, man. I uh, I just like.